Glad you're here. Glad you made the effort to be here this, this evening, this afternoon. Now let's start off with a word of prayer tonight. Heavenly Father, we come tonight. We're thankful for this day. We're thankful for uh, a gracious and kind God. We're thankful for your goodness shown to us. We're thankful for the ability to come and tonight to study your word, to consider your truth. I pray, Lord, that you would bless it. I pray for our kids that are meeting, our youth that are meeting, our other classes that are meeting tonight as well. I pray that you'd be known uh, through the study of your word. I pray we would grow uh, in our walks with you, that we'd look more like you, and that this would truly uh, bear fruit tonight. Not just be something to endure, not to be uh, something to check off on a list of things to do, but you would truly lead us and grow us and, and uh, really equip us through the study of your word. Lord, we come and we just tell you we love you and we praise you and we thank you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, tonight we're going to jump back in uh, in our study of the grand scheme of things. If you've been here, we've uh, been passing through, starting in Genesis, working our way all the way to the book of Revelation. We're uh, on the second part of our study of Moses. Uh, really big chunks that we're moving very quickly through. It's really kind of a, a flyover or a survey of the things that we're seeing uh, really building an understanding of the entirety of the Bible, the entirety of Scripture, uh, the theme of Christ all the way from Genesis to the book of Revelation. This is our 18th uh, study in the series. I'm not sure how many it's going to be total. Uh, this is our 18th study. We're in the second part, again, of our study of Moses. Now, remember where we're at. Moses, uh, at this time, the Israelites uh, are in Egypt. They've made their way to Egypt. They've become enslaved there and they're suffering under heavy labor. Uh, their number has grown. Their number is vast. Uh, the Egyptians have taken steps trying to slow that down. It hasn't worked. They think we'll increase their workload. That hasn't slowed it down. Uh, they've called for, for the, the killing of the oldest male or of all males, and that really hasn't slowed it down. And so uh, there's this vast number of, of Israelites in Egypt that have become a threat uh, to Pharaoh and to the Egyptian people. Um, remember the story last week? We introduced to Moses. He is raised by Pharaoh's daughter. His life is spared at the very beginning. It could have been uh, ended there. Uh, he is raised by Pharaoh's daughter. When he's 40 years old, uh, he kills an Egyptian. Uh, he runs and goes into hiding into the land of Midian. Uh, there he serves as, as a, uh, a, a caretaker of livestock, a shepherd, uh, he does that job till he's 80 years old. And at that age, uh, he has an interaction with God where he's called by God. Now, remember we saw a lot last week about Moses, but really in the account we see a lot of things about God. We see a lot uh, of, of God's character revealed. We see last week he is a God that sees. He is a God that is not removed just watching how it unfolds. He cares about his people in the account he hears the cry of his people, and he delivers them. And so he's a God that saves, and that's how he reveals himself to us. Uh, he is going to deliver. He makes that clear. But he's going to use Moses as his instrument. And so he's the God that saves. He's going to deliver his people, but he's going to use Moses as his instrument. Now, remember uh, a miraculous thing, the burning bush, the voice of God speaking but Moses still offers up excuses. He has another excuse and another excuse. Uh, God says, I'm going to send you. And he says, well, who am I going to tell them that you are? Uh, he says, they're not going to believe me. And he says, well, here's a couple of signs that they will believe you. He says, well, I can't speak very well. And he says, well, your brother will go. 
and he'll be your mouthpiece, and God answers or God removes all of his objectives. Objections. The key point last week, God goes to great lengths removing barriers so that we would know him. And that's a huge thing. God wants us to know him. God wants you to know him. He reveals himself in his word. He goes to great lengths, and that's what we see last week, that we would know him. In the, in the Gospel of John chapter 17, it even says eternal life is actually knowing God and Jesus uh, and, and having a relationship with them. And so God wants us to know him. Well, tonight the account is going to move forward, and we're really going to go fast over a whole lot of information. The account moves forward. The biblical account tonight starts back in Exodus chapter 4, verse 18, and goes all the way to chapter 12, verse 36. Eight chapters and a little bit of change uh, that we're not going to read all that. We're going to pull some stuff out of that. But if you were to read the biblical account, which I would encourage you to do, it starts in Exodus chapter 4, verse 18, and goes to chapter 12, verse 36. The key point tonight is God demonstrates his saving power, delivering his people in miraculous fashion. Let me say that again so you hear it. The key point tonight, God demonstrates his saving power, delivering his people in miraculous fashion. Now what that means is there is no doubt that salvation is from God. When you see the Red Sea open up, when you see the Red Sea fall in, when you see the plagues that we're going to study tonight, when you see really the crushing of Egypt, there is no doubt. Uh, the Israelites didn't do this, an army didn't do this, human intellect didn't do this, but God is our Savior. Well, tonight we're going to see that pattern start to be established. Salvation is from God, and God is our Savior. In our account, Moses uh, has heard from God. He's been called by God. His objections have been answered by God. And he leaves. He leaves Midian and he heads back for his task uh, to be God's person, spokesperson, instrument in his salvation. Now the first thing we see, when he gets back to Egypt, he talks to the leaders and the elders of Israel. Now that's an interesting thing. He doesn't just go in and meet with Pharaoh. He tells the Israelites what he's doing. He tells the heads of the clans, the tribes, the leaders and the elders, what he's doing, what God is up to. Um, let me read some verses. Exodus chapter 4, verses 29 through 31. Then Moses and Aaron went and assembled all the elders of the sons of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. He acts as the mouthpiece. He then performed the signs in the sight of the people. So the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about the sons of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, then they bowed low and worshiped. Moses goes, Aaron is the spokesman. He tells them what mission he's on. He tells them what God is doing. He shows them the sign that God has given him, and it says they believe. Now, it's an interesting thing. I talked about it a little bit last week. Most likely, after these 400 years, Many of the Israelites, if not most of the Israelites, have forgotten a whole lot about the God that they follow. They had gotten out of the practice of worship. Uh, they have been enslaved, and, and a lot of time has passed, 
And so a lot of these folks are not uh, closely walking with God. They're not uh, knowing uh, the, the, the truth of God the way that their forefathers did. So Moses shows up. Aaron is the spokesman. He shows them the sign. He tells them the mission. And then when they see God hasn't forgotten them, God is working, God is moving, they bow low and they worship God. All right, after that, they convince the, the heads of the family, the clans, and then from there, he goes and he approaches Pharaoh. And that's the next step. He comes and he approaches Pharaoh. Now, it's an interesting thing. If you, if you look there on your worksheet, um, Mo, Pharaoh at this point says, who is the Lord? Who is the Lord? He goes, Moses goes, and he starts to tell them what God is telling them, uh, that, that God is asking that they could leave and, and go a journey outside of the camp and that they could worship there. Um, Pharaoh's response is, who is the Lord? Now, I want to I look at that for just a second. That's a profound thing. There's two sides to that question. Who is the Lord? There's two sides to that question. The first side of that question is ignorance. He really is asking, who is the Lord? The reality is, you must know, we must know the truth of God. We must know who He is. He needed to know who He was. And so the first part of that is actually ignorance. Who is the Lord? This guy shows up and says, the Lord asked this, the Lord says this, and he says, who is the Lord? And so the first part is ignorance. Now think about that today. Today, there are many versions of God that are offered. And you can look and you can listen on the radio and you can watch TV, you can go on the internet. There's this version of God and there's the Mormon version of God and there's the, the Muslim version of God and there's uh, some kind of... Uh, mysticism and their version of God. There's many versions of God. It's the same way when it comes to Christ. There are many versions of Jesus, many representations, many teachings about Jesus. What we see here, it matters that you have the truth. It matters that you know the God that you're talking about. For us, it matters that we know the truth of Jesus. And so the first issue is ignorance. He says, who is the Lord? and he's ignorant of the truth of God. Now, the second side of that question is this. The second side is arrogance. Arrogance. And listen as you hear that. Who is the Lord? What, what that means is that the, the word Lord means ruler, uh, the one that governs. And so understand, here is Pharaoh. He is the king. He is the ruler. He is the one that governs. In fact, Pharaoh actually taught and probably thought himself that he was God. That's the position of Pharaoh. And so somebody comes along and says, the Lord says this, and his arrogance says, who is the Lord? Who rules? I rule. Who is the king? I am the king. And so in arrogance, he asks, who is the Lord? Who's going to tell me what to do? So in this question, there is ignorance and there is arrogance. Listen to Exodus chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. And afterward, Moses and Aaron came and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may celebrate a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, 
that I should obey his voice and let Israel go. Now again, notice here, the call's not to let them leave. The first call is to let them go worship. Let them go outside of the gates of the city and worship. Pharaoh says no. Interesting again to see those two sides of the question. Now, I want to just I want to just sum that up before we move off of that. Today, when we approach God, today if we're going to find salvation, there's two ways we have to approach God. Number one, you have to seek to remedy your ignorance, which means you have to know who Christ is. You have to know that He is divine. You have to know that He is born of a virgin. You have to know that He is sinless. You have to know He is the Lamb of God. So today, it still holds true. You have to come and seek a remedy for your ignorance. That's true too. But at the exact same time, if you're going to find God, if you're going to find Christ, you also have to have a remedy for your arrogance, and that is humility. And so you come understanding, you know what? He is the creator. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. You have to surrender your arrogance if you're going to receive Jesus Christ. I think it's interesting all the way back then. There has to be a remedy for the ignorance. There has to be a remedy for the arrogance. We have to approach God in humility. He is Lord. All right, Pharaoh says, who is the Lord? I don't know if he knew what's about to happen. I'm sure he didn't. Uh, He's about to find out who the Lord is in drastic fashion. God at this point sends 10 plagues. He sends 10 plagues. Moses says, let my people go. Pharaoh says no. Sometimes during the plagues, he even says yes, but then he changes his mind and says no again. All right, let's move through the account. Exodus chapter 7, verses 1 through 7. Then the Lord said to Moses, see, I make you as God to Pharaoh. He's his representative. And your brother shall speak and be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you. And your brother Aaron shall speak to Pharaoh that he let the sons of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Now I want you to just remember that. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart that I may multiply my signs and my wonders in the lands of Egypt. When Pharaoh does not listen to you, then I will lay out my hand on Egypt and bring out my host, my people, the sons of Israel, from the land of Egypt by great judgments. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the sons of Israel from their midst. So Moses and Aaron did it as the Lord commanded them. Thus they did. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. All right? I want you to see something before the plague start about the sign. Let me keep reading Uh, Chapter 7, verse 8 through 13. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh speaks to you, saying, Work a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh, so that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron came to Pharaoh, and thus they did, just as the Lord commanded. And Aaron threw his staff down before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh also called for the wise men and the sorcerers, and they also, the magicians of Egypt, did the same with their secret arts. For each one threw down his staff 
and they turned into serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Yet Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had said. Now I want you to notice a couple things. The interaction's about to start, but before it starts, God gives Pharaoh a sign. He says, throw down the staff, it'll become a serpent. It does, there is a sign. Listen to God. Pharaoh says for his magicians to come and do the same thing. Now, I want to talk about this for just a second. Be sure and take note of this. There are false signs. There are false signs. Satan is real. In this time, he has been given a measure of power. He is real, and there are false signs. We have to be very careful to be sure there are false signs. I hear folks say, well, I saw this, or this happened, or you know what, this person said this, and then this thing actually occurred. What do you say about that? A couple years ago, there were mediums, and they were on TV, and I think one of them came to Wichita Falls, and you could pay money, and they'd give you a reading, and people would come to me and say, well, it actually came true, or they told me something nobody could know. Listen, there are actually false signs. You have to be careful of that. They threw down their staffs as well. They became snakes as well. Here's what we do today as followers of Christ. We check everything against the Word of God. Everything is measured against the Word of God. That is our plumb line. That's what we check it against. Be careful. There are false signs. All right, at this this point, the sign has been given. He will not listen, and so the ten plagues begin to start. Chapter 7, verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is stubborn. He refuses to let the people go. Listen to the language of that. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is stubborn. He refuses to let the people go. All right, I'm not going to read all these. You can check them out. At that point, there are a series of 10 plagues uh, that come upon Egypt. First one, and I, I, I was reading through these and, and just think about them. I'll ask you at the end what you think would be the worst one. Uh, first one is this, water, the waters turn to blood. Uh, they go by the Nile River, the waters turn to blood, all waters turn to blood. Second plague, there are frogs all over the land. Frogs, a plague of frogs takes over the land. The third a plague of insects, gnats, like the dirt on the ground, gnats everywhere. It says on man and beast. Let me just go ahead and, I'll just go ahead and cut to the chase there. I, that's got to be the worst one to me. Uh, gnats in your ears and gnats in your eyes and gnats in your house and gnats in your food and, and it's hot and gnats in your sweat. That's got to be the worst one, covered up in gnats. I don't know how you stay sane with everything covered up gnats. The third one, insects, gnats on man and beast. If that weren't not bad enough, then the next one's flies, a plague of flies. Then the fifth one, uh, the livestock die, the donkeys, the camels, uh, the, the horses, the cattle, the, the, the livestock of Egypt dies. That's the next one. Here's a terrible one. The sixth one, boils. Boils sores on man and beast. You're covered in sores. Your animals are covered in sores. How I don't know how you make it out of that. Covered in boils. Hell comes along. A hailstorm 
flattens everything, beats everything flat. Locusts come, if anything is, is surviving that, the locusts come and eat all that up. All of those things in progression. Uh, some of them, he says no, some of them he says yes, and then recants, changes his mind. Uh, the ninth plague is a plague of darkness. And that, that sounds like, well, that's not too bad after you've had <laughs> gnats everywhere and after your cattle have all died. But think about this. It says darkness that they could not even see. Don't even know who's in the house with you. Don't, can't tell what's happening. Three days, daytime, lunchtime, evening, cannot see. It would be the same as being blind for three days. No light, darkness for three days. Now, it's interesting, and I would encourage you to do this. Each one of those has a meaning, and, and there's, there's quite a bit of depth in studying each of the plagues, and so you might want to go sometime and, and study that, think about that, read about those. Uh, there's great meaning and value in looking at those plagues. Uh, we just move very quickly, but that brings us to the tenth plague, and that is the, the plague, the judgment, that the firstborn male will die of all people, all households, and all animals. Not just the people, but the animals as well. The firstborn male is going to die. The oldest son, he's going to die. No way to prevent it, except that God would act. All right, now I want you to start to see this, start to see how this, this pieces together. There is a way of rescue but the way of rescue is given by God. Now, just start to think about that. The only way of rescue is given by God. All right, second part of that. See if this starts to ring a bell. The way of rescue is received by faith. God says if you'll do these things, you'll be delivered. You have to believe God. You have to trust God. What if you're at your house and say, that doesn't make any sense. We've never done that before. We're not going to do this right now. The way of rescue is received in faith. If you don't believe it, you're not going to receive it. If you don't believe it, uh, you, you can ignore it if you want. You're going to perish. And so the way of rescue is given by God. The way of rescue is received in faith. Now watch this. The way of rescue, that faith, is shown in obedience. How do you know someone believes something? It changes how they act, what they do. And so if they actually believe God in faith, guess what they're going to do? They're going to take the steps that he says. Our faith will be shown in obedience. Their faith was going to be shown in obedience. If you believe God and trust God, you're going to have to take these steps. All right, so the way of rescue is given by God, is received in faith, is shown, that faith is shown in obedience. Here's what has to happen. You have to take a perfect male lamb. You have to kill the lamb. There has to be a lamb killed for your household. Now, there was a provision made. If your household was small, if you were single, or if there were just a couple of people, you could, you could join up with the neighbor's household. But for this household, they had to find a perfect, blemish-free male lamb and kill the lamb. They had to take the blood from that lamb. Now, listen. These are important steps that you're going to have to follow in obedience. You're going to have to take the blood of the perfect lamb and smear it or really paint it over the doorpost. So you take the lamb, you kill the lamb, you take its blood, you paint 
Smear the blood over the, the doorpost. After that, you prepare the lamb, the rest of the lamb, for a meal. It becomes the Passover meal. You have to roast the lamb. Bitter herbs were used. And then, one of my favorite things, you prepare the lamb, you roast the lamb, you also have to make bread, but they make unleavened bread, bread without yeast, unleavened bread. Now, here's, here's the reasoning behind that. God actually says it in his word. There's not going to be time for the yeast to rise. And I don't know, I, I read that about twice this afternoon. That's, that's an awesome thing. God says if you'll do these things, we're not sticking around long enough for the bread to rise. We're going. And that's, that's tremendous. You know what? If you're obedient, you walk in faith, we're not even going to let the bread rise. We'll be gone and delivered before the bread would rise. How awesome is that? We're leaving. That's what God says. All right. That's profound. That's huge. That's important. Here's what I want you to see. All the way back then, what was God preparing his people to see? You see, it's not necessarily about that. Yeah, they're going to respond in faith. They're going to have to carry it out in obedience. But they're, they're supposed to be learning something right here, seeing something right here. Here's what they're supposed to start to see. The Messiah. Salvation received by faith. Faith shown in obedience. Here's what they're supposed to start to see. The need for a lamb. He starts to train his people, we have to have a lamb. We're going to die without a lamb. We need a lamb. The blood that saves. His people are trained. You have to be under the blood. You have to be covered by the blood or you're going to die. He starts to train his people that there is blood that saves. Here's something else he teaches his people. God's judgment is real. I think we start to forget that. You know what? God's judgment is real. Those outside of Christ today will perish. Guess what they heard? They heard the weeping. They heard the brokenness. They heard as they go in and the firstborn is dead and the firstborn is in the street and the firstborn is in his chair. They hear the weeping. They see the death. God's people say God's judgment is real. All of that, let me just tell you this. All the way back to there, he is preparing them to see, to recognize, and to know Jesus. And I think that's a, a huge thing. After this account, as you read the Old Testament, what does he tell them? Write it on your hands, write it on your doorposts, talk about it when you come in, talk about it when you go out, talk about it. What is he saying? He tells them, remember this event, remember this event, remember this event. He is training them to see and to look for and to recognize Jesus. God's people have been trained to see, to recognize, and to know Jesus. All those many years later, in the fullness of time, the book of Galatians says a baby is born. You know what God's people should have remembered? God's people were trained to look for a lamb. Let me show you some verses. John chapter 1, verse 29. John the Baptist, John the Testifier is baptizing the Jordan River. All of these years, hey, remember that story. Remember that story. You have to have a lamb. You're saved by the blood. All these years later, in the Jordan River, here's John the Baptist. He's baptizing, a baptism of repentance there in the Jordan River. He looks up, there's a hill, and walking over that hill is his cousin, Jesus. Listen to what he says. All these years later, and the next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, 
Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He was training them all along to see Jesus. I'm going to go to Luke chapter 22. Verses 7 through 13. Now I want you to see this. Then came the first day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Okay, this is the last of Jesus' ministry. This is the last week, uh, actually the last few days of Jesus' life. And this is the account. And then came the first day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us so that we may eat it. They said to him, where do you want us to prepare it? And he said to them, when you've entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house that he enters. And you shall say to the owner of the house, the teacher says to you, where's the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large furnished upper room. Prepare it there. And they left and found everything just as he told them. And they prepared the Passover. It is no coincidence that Jesus dies the week of Passover, that Jesus enters into Jerusalem the week of Passover. It is no coincidence that the actual true Passover lamb, Jesus, observes and finishes the last Passover meal. That's an awesome thing. All of this was pointing to Jesus. All of this was leading to Jesus. All right, from there, I want to look at one last important issue. And I, I was thinking about this about a month ago. The point of all that, God wants us to recognize Jesus. God is very intent on us recognizing Jesus. There's one last important thing I want us to talk about. And here's what I would tell you. About a month ago, I was thinking, as a kid, we read through these verses. As a young man, we read through these verses. There is an issue there that no one ever talked about. There's an issue there that I never understood and I never liked not knowing, not understanding. And so I don't know if people were scared to talk about it, scared to touch it, but here's this issue and we just read it and go, well, I don't know what that means actually. And so we're just silent on it. Well, I want to talk about it. This is going to be the last thing we do this evening. I want to talk about the hardening of hearts, the hardening of hearts. If you look at the back part of your, of your worksheet tonight, it talks about a case study, the hardening of hearts. Here's what I want you to notice. In these chapters, it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Several places, as you read through this account, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Then God punishes Pharaoh for the hardness of his heart. Now, that seems kind of crazy to me. That seems kind of weird to me. God hardens his heart, but then he's punished and ultimately killed because his heart is hard. That, that, that seems kind of weird to me. Here's, here's the question. And, and, and I'll just, here, here's the question. Does God force some people into unbelief and then punish them for it. Is that what he does? Is that what's happening? Is that his nature? Does God force some people into unbelief 
does not give them the ability to believe, in fact, holds back from them the ability to believe and then punish them for their unbelief. All right, so from that, that's the question. And that's, a, that's, a, that's something that people would read that and I go, I don't know, and they're not talking about it, so I'm just going to not understand it. Well, I never like not understanding that. I'm going to try to talk you through this. It's a pretty big thing. Right here, I want to introduce you to the idea of judicial hardening. Judicial hardening. And just follow with me. Listen very carefully. Judicial hardening. This, that, the definition of judicial hardening is God hardening a person's heart as an act of judgment. What is judicial hardening? It is, an, it is God hardening a person's heart as an act of judgment. Now, what does that mean? That means the hardening of the heart is a punishment for that person. His heart becoming hard at the, at the call and the influence of God is a punishment from God. It is a judgment carried out by God, all right? So the case we're looking at is the case of Pharaoh. Does God give Pharaoh an inability to believe and then crush him for non-belief. Because that's what it seems to say. God hardened his heart, and then he kills him for not having a soft heart, not following, walking in obedience. All right, so here, here is our case study. At first glance, it may seem like that's what God does here. You read that and say, well, that must be what God does, and he's God, he can do what he wants to do. All right, there, and, I, and you're saying, well, why is this a big deal? There are some today that are teaching that that is what God does today. He gives some an inability to believe or leaves them in an inability to believe and then judges them for their inability to believe. And when they start to explain what they believe, they're going to go to these verses and say, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And they're going to point to this, to this set of verses. And so I want you to see what's happening here in judicial hardening. All right, see this. First is this. Be sure of this. Pharaoh rebelled against God. He himself claimed to be God. He did not believe in God. He denied the truth of God. He sinned against God. Pharaoh sinned against God. Pharaoh rebelled against God. When, when Moses finds him, he is rebelling against God. He stands in opposition to God. So guess what? Number one, Pharaoh rebelled against God. Number two, Pharaoh repeatedly chose to reject God. He chose. Remember the one verse that said he chose. He decided he's not going to go along. He's not going to follow. It could have been in ignorance. could have been in arrogance. Probably was both of those things. Probably highly steeped in arrogance. But Pharaoh reportedly repeatedly chose to reject God, given the choice. And then here's the deal. At some points, Pharaoh hardened his own heart toward God. Now, we're going to pass through some places that says Pharaoh hardened God's heart. That's judicial hardening, what we're talking about. But at other places, let me give you some verses. Exodus 7, 13 and 14. Exodus 7, verse 22. Exodus 8, verse 15. Exodus 8, verse 19. Exodus 8, verse 32. Exodus 9, verse 34. Pharaoh hardened his own heart. That's what those verses say. Pharaoh having the option 
would not hear God, would not respond to God in faith. He hardened his own heart. And so, all right, now watch this. And so, God hardened his heart as an act of punishment. As an act of punishment, he rebelled against God, he denied God, he sinned against God, he hardened his own heart as an act of punishment, as an act of, of judgment, he bound him in his state of rebellion in order to use him for his purpose of salvation. He says, all of Egypt's going to know that the Lord is God. They're going to see it in the demonstration of these plagues, of the miracles of the Red Sea. But having rebelled against God, hardened his own heart, God does harden his heart as a form of punishment. This is where I will stick you. You'll be stuck like this. It is God's judgment poured out towards Pharaoh. In, in Romans chapter 1, it says today, and it, it holds true. If you run to sin, and if you run to sin, and you run to rebellion, you know what God might do to you? Romans 1, he'll give you over to your sin. And he says, in Romans 1, they, they, they sought this thing, and they sought this thing, and they sought this thing, and they wouldn't listen to me. And so God says, you know what? I'll turn them over to it. In the New Testament, his goal is always repentance. But you know what? There's a place when, you know what? God's grace runs out. And, and if you die in rebellion, guess what? There's no more grace for you. And so this is the same thing. God's judgment of the rebellion of Pharaoh, he hardened his heart. Judicial hardening after he rebelled against God, after he denied God, and after he hardened his own heart. God will give you over to it. That is the idea of judicial hardening. Now you sit there and go, well, that's crazy. I didn't know if I wanted to know all that. These are all big pieces that are starting to fit into place. Is God just? Does he always do the right thing? Is he fair? Is he gracious? How does that make sense? How are those two things going to reconcile? All of these things are going to start to fall into place as we continue our study. Now you know something a whole lot of folks don't know the truth of judicial hardening. I'm going to end the lesson, and, and I would encourage you to keep reading, keep thinking, keep studying, keep praying. I'm going to end the lesson by saying this. God wants you to see and to know and to recognize Jesus. And you say, well, how do you know that? Listen, I can tell you, God wants you to know and to see and to recognize and receive Jesus. You know how I know that? Because it's always been the plan. It's always been the plan that people would see and know and trust the Lord our God. Our hope is in Jesus. Glad you're here tonight. I'm going to ask if you'll stand while I lead us in a word of prayer. That's some heavy stuff. Let's pray. During Father, we come. We're thankful for tonight. We're thankful for your truth. Lord, I pray that you would lead us. I pray that you would grow us. I pray that you would build us not um, in, 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 our, in our things, in the things of the culture, in the things of the world, but in the truth of God's word. And I pray, Lord, that as it is living and active, that you are speaking. I pray that the Holy Spirit of God inside of us helps us discern and understand, and then more than that, empowers us to live it out in faith, shown by obedience, 
that points to our Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray for the folks in this room tonight, some dealing with all sorts of things, some tough, some hard, some in their relationships, some in their finances, other things as well. Lord, I pray that we would learn to trust you. I pray we would look to your word and walk with you. Lord, I pray that we would embrace a forgiving and gracious God. We'd also embrace a God that leads us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Help us in that. Lord, again, I pray for our kids as their foundation's being built tonight, stacked tonight. I pray that a foundation of, of truth is laid out tonight for them. Pray for our youth in a crazy world that the, the same foundation is built upon tonight. Lord, we, we thank you, we love you, and we praise you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Glad you're here. You're dismissed.